Hello, I'm Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday, the 27th of June. Coming up in today's show, we have a, an excellent interview with uh, Greg Gianforti, who is founder and CEO of Right Now Technologies. He'll be talking to us about how he has set up several businesses without borrowing a penny, uh, what's known as bootstrapping. We also have the usual roundup of news, views, and advice from the world of small business and entrepreneurs. But first, it's Small Biz Pod number 10. I I never really thought that we'd get to double figures, and it's really great to be there. So thank you all to listeners who've stuck by me and Small Biz Pod over the last uh, couple of months. And uh, hello and welcome to all you new listeners. I think uh, the stats are gradually creeping up, so thank you all very much for um, tuning in, if that's the right word, despite the fact that we have no stinking transmitters. Now, those of you who listen to Small Biz Pod number nine will know I put out an appeal to a listener from Seattle who'd sent in a comment which I then lost due to a, a break-in at home. And uh, I'm really pleased to say that Daryl Caldwell, who was that Seattle listener, has got back in touch with his original comment. And we also had a good chat about podcasting. I think he's thinking of setting one up too. So um, let's see what Daryl has to say. Uh, in his original email, he said, I find Small Biz Pod to be a refreshing show. Uh, though I'm not in your target audience, I subscribe and find the interviews fascinating. Keep up the good work. Uh, I just listened to your interview with Miss Seidefeld from StyleBible.com. Uh, she was spot on. She was right about Seth Godin's purple cow metaphor. Uh, I believe he, he would also preach that entrepreneurs need to find sneezers who can spread one's message. Uh, Daryl goes on to say, I'd be curious how the UK small biz community handles subcontractors. Uh, I run a technology consultancy helping US non-profits with tech services. Uh, in order to reach out to potential cl- clients, I have created a weblog about non-profits in my region. Uh, from time to time, I need to hire out two subcontractors, and I'm always interested in hearing how others approach this process. Well, I thought I'd throw this one out to any UK small and medium-sized businesses that regularly use subcontractors and and that listen to the show. So if you have any thoughts to help Daryl out, things to improve the efficiency um, and effectiveness of using subcontractors, it'd be very interesting to hear from you. So either an audio comment or or just an email to alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. Uh, obviously, there are some huge benefits from using uh, contracted labor for specialist projects or, or, or hiring in expertise. Uh, it allows you some flexibility to, to get expertise that you wouldn't necessarily have in-house. Um, it allows you to, to deal with the, the peaks and troughs in workflow. But there are also some some quite significant issues that I think most SMEs would have to look at when subcontracting. Uh, things like uh, how do you deal with liability issues? How do you communicate effectively with uh, your subcontracted workforce? And also con- coordinating tasks and projects becomes slightly more complicated potentially. So uh, an interesting subject. Thank you, Daryl, for raising it. Uh, we'll see what kind of response that we get from any UK listeners out there. And perhaps it's a, a theme that we might come back to in Small Biz Pod 
at some point in the not-too-distant future. Now, you'll recall that last week uh, I featured on Small Biz Pod number 9 the announcement by TalkTalk Talk that they'd be introducing a new uh, telephone service for businesses that would help them save money and uh, talk briefly about Skype and the voiceover internet protocol uh, guys who are making inroads into the telecoms market. Now, I also mentioned uh, uh, an analysis by Neville Hobson, who has very kindly sent in an audio comment this week. So let's listen to what Neville uh, has to say on the topic. Hey, Alex, it's uh, Neville Hobson here in uh, Amsterdam. I've just been listening to Small Biz Pod number nine. Terrific show, and I especially like the uh, music you played at the end. That was excellent. So uh, I just thought I'd send you this audio comment, Alex, because... um, I was interested in what you were saying in Small Biz Pod number nine about the phone service that uh, Carphone Warehouse was uh, launching in the UK aimed particularly at small businesses. And you mentioned Skype. You mentioned me too there, by the way. Thanks very much for that. Uh, but uh, I wanted to comment on Skype because I've been using Skype myself since the middle of last year. And since January of this year, uh, I've been using it for my business, uh, which is a small business, um, and on a personal basis too, exclusively to make all phone calls. I just do not use the normal phone anymore for phone calls. I still have the normal phone, uh, but uh, that's used for, you know, my family and people who call on the regular phone. Uh, But uh, I use Skype uh, for all phone calls. If I call people who also have Skype, then that call is free. But in the course of normal business, most people I call have normal telephones. So I call them via Skype. And the cost uh, difference uh, from using Skype to do that compared to normal phones is really dramatic. I've seen my phone bill uh, drop uh, quite quickly earlier in the year by about 80% compared to what it was. And uh, the Skype uh, normal phone rates are about two US cents per minute, and that's the rate in most European countries and to the United States. It's the same price, no matter what time of the day or night you call. So that's to call normal phones. And again, as I mentioned, if you call somebody else, whether it's business or personal, doesn't matter, who also has the Skype software on their computer, then it is free. Uh, if you're paying for your network, you've still got that cost, in which case the call is free. You can chat for hours. Uh, as you know, uh, I do a podcast myself twice weekly with Shell Holtz in California for immediate release, and Shell and I get together literally twice a week uh, with Skype and um, do our show over Skype, and it is totally for free. So uh, definitely it's something that any small business should consider. Definitely check it out. If you go to www.skype.com, download the free software, give it a go. And, in fact, the Skype site uh, itself has uh, very, very uh, well-written information that describes it all. Uh, There's versions for Windows, for Mac, for Linux, and so forth, even mobile version too. So it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, the telecommunications companies, uh, like the ones in the UK, indeed here in the Netherlands, I think just aren't aware uh, how this is creeping up on them. Uh, because if they were, they'd be doing something about it, and they're not. So uh, definitely worth checking out. So hope this comment is helpful, Alex. Uh, I've enjoyed, as I mentioned, listening to Small Biz Pod number nine. I do listen to your shows. I think they're great. Uh, keep it up, and I will keep listening. Okay, thanks, Alex. See you. Bye. Uh, Neville, thank you so much for that comment. Really great to hear from you. And uh, I think that adds to the debate around telecoms and what services they provide to small businesses. Skype, I'm a big fan of. I don't think I've gone as far as Neville yet and uh, put, uh, put all my phone calls through Skype. But 
the fact is that I've never had a problem with it, and clearly uh, Neville hasn't had any issues with it either. It is almost, you know, 100% reliable. Occasionally you get an iffy line, but no more so than through a traditional phone service. And it really is, I think, going to have a big impact. I think more and more small businesses, initially perhaps just as sort of individual consultants, one-man bands, smaller businesses will definitely look to Skype um, and other voice-over internet protocol services. Whether or not uh, businesses, the main telecoms businesses, are actually uh, taking a look at this uh, is difficult to say, although I have a feeling that BT are looking to launch or maybe even already have launched a voice over internet protocol service. So they may well be responding to the likes of Skype, but I agree with Neville, it is uh, quite slow, their response. And more and more and more people are looking at voice over internet as a, a realistic option, both in terms of personal use and in use for their businesses. Um, also, I'd like to say, uh, if you've not listened to For Immediate Release, that's that's hosted by Neville and uh, Shell Holtz in uh, the United States, it's uh, a program that sort of specialises really in PR and its intersection with technology uh, and communications. Now, it's a show that's well worth listening to, whether or not you're in PR or not. There are just so many interesting facets associated with organizational organizational communication uh, and PR and the new technologies that are coming online. So it, it is a fascinating show, uh, twice weekly, Monday and Thursday. Of course, you can listen to it whenever you want. So uh, you can go down and listen, listen to all 40 episodes. Uh, just download them from the site and I'll make sure there's a link on the Small Biz Pod blog uh, after this show goes out. So thanks again, Neville. And if uh, anyone else out there wants to contribute to the debates or uh, comment on some of the issues that, that I raise in Small Biz Pod, it would be really great to hear from you because I do view these podcasts as a, an opportunity to, to, to get a conversation going uh, between listeners and me. Right, for uh, any new business or any one, anyone with an entrepreneurial instinct, instinct who's looking to uh, create a new enterprise, two areas are extremely important. Obviously, uh, customer focus these days is, is absolutely essential. You've got to really understand who you're marketing to, who you're selling to, and uh, your business won't succeed unless you have a very strong idea of how to reach those customers and what they want and need. Um, the other element which uh, is also, for many, extremely important is the issue of funding. But it's, you don't always have to go out and borrow money from a bank. There are many examples of businesses who have started with uh, very little money indeed. And there's a concept uh, called bootstrapping, uh, which is prevalent at the moment, which is, in essence, uh, a way of uh, setting up your business with very, very little investment and building it from there so that your your business isn't lumbered with debt from the outset. Now, um, I'm very pleased to have with me today Greg Gianforti from uh, Right Now Technologies, uh, right Now Technologies is, uh, in essence, an organization that uh, provides industry-leading, on-demand uh, customer relationship management solutions. Uh, so, you know, software to enable big companies to uh, reach out uh, and manage their relationships with customers more effectively. Um, set up in 1997, Right Now, which is... Uh, 
headquartered in uh, in Montana, um, has got a, a huge range of, uh, of of top corporate customers, including British Airways, British Telecom, Cisco Systems, and so on and so forth. And Greg, I, I know, is a, a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Um, he uh, I think has also uh, just written a book on bootstrapping. So, uh, Greg, very many thanks for appearing on Small Biz Pod today. Oh, thanks, Alex. I suppose uh, one of the things that always interests uh, listeners to Small Biz Pod is uh, the the backgrounds of uh, the the entrepreneurs that we interview. So, tell us a little bit about you and uh, a bit about your background and what led you towards the sort of entrepreneurial life as opposed to going into the public sector or, or, or going into a big organization and, and, and climbing up that corporate ladder? Mm-hmm. Well, I, in, by training, I'm an engineer. I did my uh, undergraduate work in uh, electrical engineering and then my master's in computer science. And, and I did start in a large corporation. I, I left and went to work for AT&T Bell Laboratories uh, in the early 80s when the whole uh, phone system in the U.S. was being broken up. But very quickly, I realized that, uh, you know, I really wanted to do something on my own. The thing that was appealing to me about starting businesses is the whole creation process, where you literally can start with a, a blank sheet of paper, write some ideas down, and then turn that into a reality. And, and uh, that's, that's very rewarding. And it certainly is a challenge, and I enjoy the challenge. And um, have all your businesses been successful? There's an argument, and particularly that comes over to the UK from the, from the States, that uh, unless you've uh, had a business that's failed, you're not really an entrepreneur. Now, in the UK, that, that's, that, that fear of failure is so great, I think, that uh, people don't uh, take the plunge and, and set up their own businesses quite often. Uh, but I, my impression is that in the States in particular, uh, that fear of failure really doesn't exist so much. Well, I think, you know, I, I, I go back to uh, something Winston Churchill said that w- about entrepreneurship, and that is uh, the definition of an entrepreneur is someone who can go from failure to failure with undiminished enthusiasm. <laughs> it's a great and quote. And I think it's absolutely right. Uh, I've, I've been involved in uh, starting five different businesses. Uh, two of them have actually gotten some significant mass to them. The first one reached uh, about uh, $10 million in uh, annual revenue and about 75 employees. Yeah. Uh, this most recent business, um, you know, we're currently about 500 employees and we'll do between 80 and $85 million U.S. Uh, this year. So, uh, and both of these businesses were started bootstrap. Now, the other, the other uh, three businesses all had some degree of success, so they didn't, they didn't actually get as much mass to them, one, yeah. that, but they, they were sold to various companies uh, after a shorter period of time. Now, um, serial entrepreneurship, I always think, is a little bit like property development. Once you've, once you've, once you've sold one, got one under your belt, you get a, enough equity to move into a, a, you know, onto your next purchase, and you gradually build and build from there. Tell us a little bit about your, your views on bootstrapping as a, as a, as a concept. Yeah, I'm a I'm a dyed in the wool bootstrapper. I it's just, you know, and, and it is. I I would agree that uh, once you've done one business, uh, there are certainly lessons you take to the next one. Uh, but I would disagree that um, taking the capital from one to the next is necessarily a help, right? Because the experience teaches you which ditches to stay out of, and probably more importantly, from a bootstrapper's perspective. It teaches you what problems you need to, you can actually forget about and not worry about at all. Uh, but I think for an early stage entrepreneur who's just 
trying to get that first customer, get that first product to market, money is actually a disadvantage Mm -hmm. because um, money in many senses is like a safety net. And it, it's, it actually um, puts you in a position where you don't have to face the really tough questions. Uh, tough questions like, uh, how am I going to put food on the table today yeah. for myself? And then later on, how am I going to make payroll? Yeah. And the only way you answer that question is to go out and understand a problem that a customer has and deliver a solution that they're willing to pay you for. Having money, you know, people write a business plan and, you know, if you asked, uh, you know, 100 MBA graduates, mm. how do you start a business? They're going to say 99 at least, if not all 100, will say, well, you write a business plan, you go raise money. The thing they don't say is then you start a bonfire and you pitch the money on the bonfire and you <laughs> hope there's a company there before you run out of money. Yeah. And having an office or having an advertising campaign or having market research does not does not a company make. Yeah. Uh, the only time you have a company is when you have a value proposition that someone's willing to pay you for. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you can get to that part of the business, the sooner you know if you have a viable idea or not. Yeah. So uh, what's your view of venture capital? Well, we've, we used venture capital in this last business, but it wasn't until we reached 150 employees and had more than 400 um, customers. Yeah. Uh, I think there is a place for it. Uh, I think it's a mistake for early-stage entrepreneurs to raise venture capital unless their business plan absolutely requires it. Although I would argue that um, if their business plan absolutely requires it, they probably have the wrong business plan. So really, from a, a venture capital point of view, build, I mean, in an ideal world, build your business so that you know you've got a business. And then right. presumably, if you're looking to uh, expand uh, or, or to grow beyond a level that your immediate cash flow allows, then venture capital becomes a, a more appealing option. Yeah, but it, it is, uh, it is uh, a peculiar thing. I mean, in, in this business right now, um, when we began, we had no external money. And although I had some money from the previous businesses, I did not use them in this business. We yeah. literally started, um, we were cash flow positive from day one. Uh, we doubled the size of the business in terms of number of employees and amount of revenue every 90 days for two years right? right. with no external funding. Yeah. So I'm just not sure how much faster a company can grow than that. Mm, mm. So, um, you know, it's very easy to make an argument that we ought to go raise money. We can grow faster because we can make all these investments. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the easy way out that the, the more appropriate question that an entrepreneur should be asking is which investments are we currently making that we shouldn't be making to free up money to invest in the things that would allow us to grow faster. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you have any particular tips or, or, or points of advice to, to, to give to entrepreneurs who are, who, who are looking to set up a bootstrap business? So some, you know, some very practical um, ideas. Obviously, different businesses have different uh, priorities and challenges, but ultimately, yep. running a business is running a business, and it doesn't matter whether you're selling oranges or or uh, search engine optimization software. Ultimately, it is the customer that counts. What what, what sort of uh, say three or four key pieces of, pieces of advice would you offer to listeners who are who have a business or who are looking to set one up? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. The first thing is 
people get all confused when they start a business. They, they think they need an accounting system. Well, you don't need an accounting system until you actually have a customer who's paying you some money. And even then, you know, a little a sheet of paper where you write it down is not, yeah. not a bad solution. Yeah. So the, the first thing is the business is actually very simple. It's, it's a simple equation, which is the money you get minus the money you spend equals the profit. Yeah. And the first rule of a bootstrapper is you can't spend more than you're bringing in because you don't have any resources. Mm. So you, what you've got to do first off is get to the point where you can ask a customer or a potential customer for money as early as possible. And a lot of people confuse building a product or designing a service with actually selling it. And they're two distinct and separate activities. So yeah. the, the approach I recommend to entrepreneurs is figure out who your customers, potential customers are, go talk with them, spend time with them. Yeah. When you have a theory about what they're willing to pay for, Ask them for an order. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't say go off and build a product and come back and ask them for an order. I said just ask them for an order. And do it in a way that's truthful and straightforward. Most uh, – uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say we want to start a uh, – I'll take a non-technology example. We okay. wanted to start a, uh, a custom meals business for busy professionals. Yeah. Right? So maybe we come up with a theory about – um, who these people are. We go spend time with some of them, and we find out, yeah, there might actually be a, uh, uh, an opportunity here. So what I would do is I'd take a single sheet of paper, type up a suggested menu, go knock on some doors, or go visit a, a, a facility that might have a bunch of these people, maybe a club or an association, yeah. and ask them for an order. I'll deliver a dozen meals to you next week. Here's the price. Yeah. And you know what? Most people are going to say no, <laughs> but then you have the best opportunity because you can ask them why not. Yeah. And yeah. they'll tell you why not. And you can go back and change your menu and come back the next week and ask them again for the order. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually you'll get to the point where somebody will say yes. That's the first time you should think about cooking a meal. Yeah. Yeah. I, right? I did the same thing in our business. Um, I spent a month, made 300 phone calls, and I had an idea of exactly what the market wanted. Um, before we ever went off and wrote a single line of code. I yeah. spent six weeks in a closet building the first product, came back. It wasn't even a product at that point. It was a, it was a featurette. Yeah. But the, it delivered value when the customer was willing to spend money on it. Yeah. That's the first thing. Sell first. You've got to go sell before you do anything else. The second yeah. thing is all of the experts out there predominantly have worked, worked in large corporations. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a gross generalization, but I find it's often <laughs> true. Now, these experts, they're all wrong yeah. because their advice is designed for someone in a large corporation. Mm-hmm. And so the, the second thing is someone's going to tell you, well, you need, you need market research. Well, there's no better market research than asking somebody for an order and getting a yes or no answer. Yeah. Somebody's going to tell you, well, you need, you need advertising. Well, the only role of advertising is to shorten the sales cycle and generate leads for sales. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need that until you have a sales organization. Yeah. And even then, the salespeople are the best prospectors in the first place. I think the third item I'd point to is in ways of advice is yeah. the, the motto of a bootstrapper is there's always another way. And when someone tells you you've got to do it this way because that's the way the industry does it, mm-hmm. the lack of funds – force you to think outside the box 
Yeah. And as a result, you often come up with strategies that are much better than the traditional approach. I'll yeah. give you an example. Yeah. In my previous business, a company called Brightwork, we did network management software in, in what was then the, the Novell network space. And we were having trouble getting uh, Novell's attention. And we thought that they'd be a good distributor for us. So we, uh, we bought a billboard. We had $300 left in our bank account. Yeah. And we bought a billboard across the street from their headquarters in Provo, Utah. <laughs> now, these billboards in Provo, Utah, as you might imagine, weren't yeah. that expensive. In fact, yeah. it was $200 a month, including lights at night. It was 48 feet long. <laughs> and this billboard we had painted, and it said, don't just network, bright work. Cool. And there was no phone number or anything on it. Yeah. It was a very arrogant kind of thing to put up right across from the headquarters. <laughs> so we were, it was me and my partner, and we were in the, in the sun porch of his house. That's where our office was. Yeah. And uh, we got a call the next day from their vice president of corporate communications saying, um, uh, we, 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 can I have your PR department, please? <laughs> and my partner said, do you, do you want to be the PR department? I said, sure, transfer it over to me. <laughs> Transferring it meant handing me the phone. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, yes, this is the PR department. <laughs> and they said, well, can you, can you ship us a press kit um, overnight? And being the bootstrapper, I said, sure, if you give me your FedEx number, yeah. which they did. And uh, I said, well, what, what's prompting your call to us today? She goes, well, it's this billboard. We're trying to figure out who you guys are. <laughs> and I said, where are you located? She said, Provo, Utah. I said, well, you mean those advertising people put one in Provo, too? <laughs> And the thing was, we were trying to get a master distribution agreement. We yeah. got a call. That followed up. Within a month, we had a master distribution agreement with Novell. Yeah. That's a pretty good story. It just goes to say, you can, you can create an image much larger than life with not a lot of resources. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not having any money, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. And it really drives you to that. So that's some of the advice. But all of these kinds of bits of advice are included in this book, which will be out in September. It talks about, we've interviewed now about two dozen entrepreneurs in all industries that have started significant businesses with no external funding. Yeah. And that's the name of the book, Bootstrapping, um, Start and Grow Your Business with Almost No Money. Okay, and that will be, will that be on Amazon and stuff for, for people yeah, to sure buy in September, yep. yeah? Yeah, and actually my co-author uh, is a Brit based here in London. Oh yeah. Uh, who who wrote for the Financial Times, Marcus Gibson. So okay. It's co-authored by myself and Marcus Gibson. Fantastic. Um, we'll we'll look out for that. I'll certainly be buying a copy. I'm I'm certainly into bootstrapping. Podcasting, as you're probably aware, is very much a uh, a bootstrapped um, business model. Uh, if there's a business model there at all, but um, yeah. Uh, okay, good stuff. I think I think the things that come out of that is that are really really useful to listeners, certainly to me too, is um, don't be afraid of no uh, when you're on the phone to potential customers. No is actually an opportunity, as you've sort of pointed yes. it out, uh, which is a great way of looking at it. And also, I, I really like the idea of you know lack of money being a, a great motivator and a great way of, of finding alternative solutions and, and very often better solutions uh, looking at looking at it outside the box is uh, due to lack of lack of money is uh, an interesting and, and, and I think very useful concept for, for anyone who who perhaps is hesitating uh, about putting their ideas or, or, or a business idea into action simply because they think well hang on a minute I don't really have the money to do this it's uh, yeah if you if you think you don't have the money it just means you haven't thought about the problem hard yeah, enough yet. Yeah, 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 no, good stuff. Okay, so um, uh, let's just conclude by 
having a, a quick look at, at Right Now Technologies, um, obviously you were set up in 1997. Uh, you mentioned you've got something like 500 employees now. Is yes. that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where yes. do you see the company in 10 years' time? Or, or, or are, you, uh, are you planning on uh, moving on and, and creating another new business? Well, this, this business has a, lot of, uh, has a lot of legs under it. Yeah. You know, I'm thoroughly enjoying what I'm doing, and, and that's kind of my measure. As long as I can come to work every day and feel good about what we're doing, I think right now there's three noble uh, elements to the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is our core mission as an organization is to help companies better serve their customers. And last year, in 2004, we handled over 500 million consumer interactions on behalf of our customers. And ultimately, that makes, differentiates them in the marketplace, yeah. um, you know, makes them more competitive, allows them to take better care of their customers. And that's, that's work that's really worth doing. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, one of the natural outgrowths of a successful software business, and um, I, you know, I think it's all businesses, but software in particular, because uh, 85% of our uh, expense uh, is in wages. Yeah. And one of the natural outputs is we create challenging and worthwhile livelihoods for our employees and ultimately for the communities in which we exist. Mm-hmm. And that's worthwhile work. You know, yeah. our, our, yeah. our employees are sending their kids off to college and buying cars and buying houses and riding horses or whatever they happen to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a worthwhile thing to get up and come to work and do. And, and right now provides a platform for me. Uh, for me personally, that's a very satisfying aspect of why I work. Yeah, absolutely. And the third thing is the enterprise software business is, you know, just strewn with examples of companies taking advantage of their customers and wreckage and, and just <laughs> poor ethics and these sorts of things. And, and that's also part of our core mission is just to work to change the ethics of the software business. Now, the market we, we, uh, we play in, is about a nine billion dollar a year market. Uh, we'll do between eighty and eighty-five million dollars this year, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, as a result, uh, we've got a lot of runway ahead of us. And uh, I, I, you know, our business grew last year uh, almost sixty percent year over year. Uh, we've just completed our twenty-ninth um, consecutive quarter of revenue growth, so it's just seven and a quarter years. Okay, uh, and we, our endeavor is to continue that growth. Uh, there's a big market in front of us. We're solving a problem that needs to be solved, and we've got a great team of people. So it's, you know, it's a lot of fun, and uh, we're making a big difference for our customers. Okay, uh, Greg Gianforte from Right Now Technologies. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Now we're already at uh, around 31 minutes for this show, so I'll speed through some uh, news stories. Um, Firstly, a rather bizarre um, European Union story here. Um, Earlier this week, the the Forum of Private Businesses attacked an apparent piece of uh, Euro madness uh, related to the EU directive on optical radiation, which seems to infer that businesses whose employees work outdoors will have to make radiation risk assessments using sophisticated meteorological data to ensure staff are safe from the sun. Uh, According to the European Commission offices in the UK, they believe that common sense will prevail uh, as far as this piece of legislation is concerned and that employers will have to remind staff in training of the risks posed by the sun and suggest sun cream as a solution. 
Uh, good news for sun cream manu- manufacturers, I suppose, but who will pay, the business or their employees? And whatever happened to individuals taking responsibility for themselves? I mean, an appropriate story, I think, bearing in mind we've had scorching weather here for the last few days in the UK, but a uh, strange one. Typical, though, of some of the weird and wonderful pieces of legislation that come out of Brussels once in a while. Talking of once in a while, I do like to highlight some awards that small and medium-sized businesses are able to enter. Um, Although sometimes time-consuming to enter, awards can very often give your business a PR boost. Uh, And I think they also open up uh, occasionally unexpected networking and business opportunities, so uh, don't rule them out. So an award that came to my notice this week uh, is from the Charities Aid Foundation. Uh, they run a Companies and Communities Award, which recognises business of, businesses of all sizes that have developed the most effective or innovative community investment programmes. Uh, the closing date for entries is Friday the 26th of August, and I'll make sure uh, details are published or linked on the Small Biz Pod blog. Uh, For more details now, check out the Charities Aid Foundation's website at www.ccinet.org. Now, an interesting development in terms of credit checking for businesses. Global information services company Experian, uh, as I say, best known for its credit checking operation, announced last week that it was teaming up with Microsoft to offer businesses with secure online access to credit and business information direct to their desktop. Uh, The way it would work is that users of Microsoft Office 2003 will now be able to access business information on UK companies without having to open a web browser. Uh, They just simply type in the company name uh, an icon appears on the screen and they would then be able to determine the company's creditworthiness and make informed decisions about customers and potential prospects before providing or purchasing goods or services. So, interesting idea. Um, No word on cost for the service, however, at this stage, but certainly an interesting development for all business owners and finance directors keen to reduce the risks of bad debt. Now, finally, uh, quite a shocking story, really, from the US. Uh, Dr. Jeff Cornwall highlights in his excellent Entrepreneurial Mind blog a quite extraordinary legal decision by the US Supreme Court, uh, known as the Kalo decision, uh, made at the, the end of last week, 24th of 23rd, 24th of June, something like that. Um, put as simply as I can put it, uh, the Supreme Court in the US uh, made a decision that means that all private property, including small business premises, is now vulnerable to being taken over and transferred to another private owner if it is deemed to be beneficial to the public in the process. Uh, It seems to basically therefore extend the power of what we'd call in the UK compulsory purchase orders. Um, And although one would, would hope common sense would prevail again here, Um, there are some very significant concerns for small businesses. Uh, More on the story can be found at Jeff Cornwall's blog. Um, And Jeff is calling for a a national movement in the US to block the effects of the Kalo decision um, state by state so that uh, all small business owners and homeowners can regain um, some of their rights on, on private property. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out.
Right, so that's just about it for the show today. Uh, to finish off with, uh, just a reminder that if you'd like to send an audio comment or uh, an email comment to uh, to me, um, it's alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. Uh, as ever, please do send in your thoughts, uh, your ideas for the show, anything you like, anything to open up a, a conversation or a debate uh, amongst listeners and, and with me here. Um, and finally, the tune for today. I'm going for something a little bit more... How would you describe it? I suppose avant-garde. It's some quite serious techno music, and the artist, uh, again found on electromancer.com, is called LOTD, and the track is called Absent Mind. Thank you.